Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Drew Brown, freelance writer for uh, Vice Canada, CBC Newfoundland contributor, joining us from St. John's, Newfoundland. Welcome. Hello. Drew, we're going to be talking about Margaret Wente. Uh, we're going to be talking about Maria Monsef and the burning question of Afghanistan or Iran. Mm-hmm. Inquiring minds want to know. And we are going to be talking about the death of Shomi. R.I.P. Welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Steve McCallum, Scott Boris, Robert Crosby, Jessica Cataneo, Matthew Hartney, Bailey Reed, Rachel Cordner, and Suzanne Nell. Suzanne, why did you decide to be awesome? Because I'm skeptical of the mainstream media's ability to report honestly on issues and events, and Canada Land helps me to better understand stories in the news. And Drew, this episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. Mm-hmm. As we speak, I just returned from FreshBooks offices, and I have not been before today to their new vast office. It's incredible. I used to visit them at a much smaller office, and then I, I think I once was at a smaller office before that. This is this local company in in my backyard, anyhow, here in Toronto, that is now the best in the world at what they do. They got like over 5 million people using this cloud accounting software. What do you do for your invoices, Drew? Uh, my invoices are basically typed up in a Word document, so yeah, I should probably actually get in on FreshBooks. Well, my friend, it is an excellent time because they just rebuilt the whole damn thing. The reason I was there was to give this thing a word and they have made it really, really simple and fun. It's sort of a strange thing to introduce to people because that was always what it was, was this is the simplest way to do this for non-accountants. Right. But they have just stripped it down and they've put the focus on the things that people want to see most. It's like this thing that companies do now where they try to disrupt themselves, like so that some other company doesn't <laughs> come in and do a better FreshBooks than FreshBooks. FreshBooks just made a better FreshBooks than FreshBooks. Check it out now. 30 days free. When you do become a customer, tell them who sent you. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand.
This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now, and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're, if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of, organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. So just tell us, uh, Margaret Wente, you write this column what are you saying? You're sorry? Yeah. I think I got Newfoundland wrong, and I think I got Newfoundlanders wrong. I didn't know I was going to write the column, by the way, before our big trip, or even during the big trip. But after I got back, I started to reflect, and I said, yeah, I really feel like I've got something to say here, so I should say it. Perhaps, as some people have been saying, you should have visited the province before you wrote that article in 2005. Uh, well, you know, I was kind of scared. <laughs> Drew? Yes. <laughs> you are a Newfoundlander. This is correct. Do you accept Margaret Wente's apology? <sighs> I mean, it's cool that she, you know, after 11 fucking years, she finally decides to show up and, and tour, like, the most genderfied parts of the island and decide that, you know, like, we're not actually an island full of welfare leeches living in a scenic welfare ghetto. And in fact, we're a nice sort of kind, genteel, salt of the earth, quaint people with a fun way of speaking and archaic methods of life. But uh, I, I can't on principle. I think it's stupid. I think this whole thing is fucking stupid, really. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think we should probably give people like a short history of uh, Margaret Wente's adventures in Newfoundland, or at least writing about Newfoundland. This all started with a column she wrote, like you say, 11 years ago, where, which she wrote having not been to Newfoundland. This was when Newfoundland was appealing to Ottawa for disbursements to offset the fact that the entire fishing industry had been destroyed, arguably because of things that Ottawa allowed to happen. And they were saying, well, now that you've destroyed our way of living and our economies, we are asking for assistance. And Margaret Wente described like 
en masse Newfoundlanders as welfare bums on the pogie, I think as you put it. You don't get the Globe and Mail in Newfoundland. Like this national newspaper doesn't actually deliver to Newfoundland, does it? First, I just want to like back up like a little bit before I get into the Globe and Mail part. So in 2005, the Cod Moratorium at this point had been on for like 13 years or something. So what was happening was Newfoundland oil was coming online and suddenly we had a little bit more money. And so they were thinking of like tinkering with the uh, equalization formula, which would see us like get less money in proportion to the the oil revenues that we were bringing in. So in 2005, there's a big conflict between um, the Danny Williams government here and, and and Ottawa, which ultimately, because Williams is sort of a, a petulant guy with a real flair for drama, he ended up like pulling down the Canadian flags, which sort of really rankled a lot of sort of upper Canadian media people, much like Margaret Wente. So she sort of just flew off the handle, like how they're this island of ingrateful welfare bums take down this sacred symbol of Canada, fuck everybody sort of thing, which, as you can imagine, didn't go over very well here. The Globe at the time was delivered to Newfoundland, but I think it was, like, temporarily just sort of banned, like, stores here wouldn't carry it for a while after that happened. Really? Because, yeah, so eventually, I think, somebody at the Globe apologized. I don't think it was Wente, or eventually, you know, we sort of decided that it was water under the bridge, and the Globe would carry here again, and then in 2013, they just, I guess, it's not profitable for them to send newspapers so fast forward to this recent Wente column where she writes that she got it wrong and she apologizes. And to fill people in, there were two big problems with this most recent apology. Mm-hmm. The first might be an inside journalism kind of a thing where she was, well, so she visits Fogo Island and she really just uh, wonderfully captures the quaint quality of the salt of the earth people that she encounters there, these hardworking people with their cute accents. But she did not identify herself as a journalist. In fact, she did not use her byline name. She used her maiden name because she was afraid that she'd be lynched, I suppose, in Newfoundland. Yeah. And then she ends up quoting these locals who did not know they were talking to a reporter, which is like, that's like rule number one is if you're like, you're supposed to identify yourself. And here I'll actually cut her some slack. Like sometimes you're out in the world and you experience something, you want to write about it later. You were not encountering the world as journalists when you experience experienced it. So you did not have the opportunity or didn't occur to you to say, hey, by the way, can I get a quote? I'm a reporter. She might have called back and said, I'm going to be using as anyhow, that's one part of this. But I I think the bigger part of it is, and this was pointed out in one of your local publications, The Independent, Mm -hmm. she doesn't actually apologize, right? No. She says the words, I'm sorry, but she's not saying, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. You're not trying to fleece Ottawa. I had the political situation incorrect way back in the day. She seems to be saying, oh, Fogo Island at least has recovered its economy through massively inflated uh, boutique tourist business to people like me. And they're like, Newfoundland has got the interest of chefs in Ontario and it's got high priced uh, tourist trade, at least in Fogo Island. And these people are, now that I've met them, they're really nice and quaint, kind of like Smurfs in Smurf Village. And therefore, yeah. I apologize. So I, I could understand why the apology might not be accepted. And that's the thing, right? It's like, yeah, okay, well, like we all know that there are issues with the economy here. I don't think anybody's going to deny that. I think that's been fairly obvious for like the last 150 years of Newfoundland history. But I think the real problem is just like the condescending tone. Like she really didn't understand anything and just kind of like flew off the handle at the, you know, like how we're, we're such bad poor people. And so now the big apology is she actually did come here and she spent time in, you know, God bless Fogel Island as the economic success story, but it really is, if you looked up gentrification in a dictionary, you would see a picture of the Fogel Island Inn, right? This is totally inaccessible, unaffordable in to anybody that actually, for most of us that actually live here. And 
it's the same condescending attitude of almost like an upper Canadian caricature, right? This like a haughty person from Toronto comes down and realizes that we're not actually all welfare bums. You know, we're the good poor people now. We're hardworking and we have quaint and simple ways. And, you know, it's really sort of like authentic as opposed to, you know, all the, the trappings of modernity that are fake and inauthentic. But she's like swapping one really stupid, horrible, condescending caricature for another and then <laughs> and then trying to like pawn this off as like, I learned my lesson, which it's, it's like, it's insane. It's also like you do something awful, then you apologize. It's just, she's like whipping up her own drama, but we're singing an old song here. Like you, like you can, you can have something like Margaret Wente journalistic integrity violation bingo. Like there was another one that just came out where a recent column of hers, one of the sources who's like research that she cites in it just piped up on Twitter to say, yeah, I was never called for this article and she misrepresents my work. So, you know, the, the plagiarism, this stuff, we're getting to a point where like this little game I play in my head of like, explain Margaret Wente to somebody who's not from Canada and why she's still in the paper. <laughs> like, I don't know how you even begin that. I have thought a lot about this in the 11 years since everybody here started caring about Margaret Wente. I mean, the Globe has found this perfect way to just monetize like hate reading because I, I can't fathom the kind of person who like reads a Margaret Wente article and is like, this is excellent. I agree with all of this. Thank God this woman is telling the truth. I mean, I'm sure those people are out there, but there's such a small minority of the actual people that like click on the articles and read them and share them and like get outraged i mean you know like you want to talk about like clickbait i think the globe has sort of perfected it in wente and that like her material is basically indefensible like it's unclear to what extent she's like involved in actually writing it herself or doing it professionally and ethically and like whatever they're all horrible and all the opinions in them are horrible and like they have no literal merit on their own grounds <laughs> but because they're so they're so fucking outrageous that they can keep being printed and they i mean they make they have to make somebody money right no um, no drew no <laughs> this is what i'm saying man we can understand <laughs> horrible horrible voices that make money we can understand like the bill o'reilly's like those people at least make a certain sense even if you don't like them went day i've said this before i have yet to read a cogent economic argument for Margaret Wente's inclusion. Clicks don't make money anymore. And Margaret Wente is putting so much stink on the Globe and Mail brand. Their business model is about subscriptions and that paywall. She ain't helping mm -hmm. them there. So something else has to, this is like, if, if I do nothing else, I want to get to the bottom of like, you know, what is the blood <laughs> pact or what blackmail videos are involved in this? Does it have to do with the Thompson <laughs> family? Like why, why someone please tell me why. And a liberal cabinet minister is facing her own personal challenge after some unexpected family history went public. Maria Monsef came to Canada as an Afghan refugee, but she confirmed today it is not where she was born. Are you as shocked and scandalized by this news as, uh, as I am not? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I heard the story broke and I mean, my base reaction was like, okay, sure. I'm trying to see this. I, okay. So this just seems to me like who cares if you understand anything about displaced people and refugees and the way that people move between borders when their lives are interrupted by war. If I think about members of my own family who like the border was shifting between Russia and Poland, depending on the week, mm -hmm. Ukraine. If I think about like in-laws I have, like in the wake of the Holocaust, you know, my father-in-law was born in Uzbekistan. Then he was like mm -hmm. in Sweden, but he was originally from Poland. 
or it might have been Russia. I'll give it to you both ways. I want to get that right or else I'm going to be in trouble. But of course, he's originally from Russia. To hold him responsible that something is wrong on the form, years, it just seems ludicrous and it just seems like the, the ugliest sort of political, real politic, like just taking advantage of a situation. And now we're reading headlines that like she should lose her citizenship or something. It is a little bit like... Strange, right? I mean, it's sort of, so it's sort of been like reading about it and she was born like just over the border in Iran, I think, like in a community that was like, you know, it was a very big Afghan community, like two hours from the border or something. And it's such like a minute, like technical difference that really would like not matter to anybody who wasn't like super paranoid about, I don't know, some sort of like Iranian racial science reasoning of like, well, these people can't be trusted inherently, which is like, it's just so bonkers. I don't understand like why it's getting the amount of play that it's getting. I don't either, but you know what? I try to see things from other people's perspectives and not just like, oh, this is just cynical politics. I got an email from a listener who was appalled, not by the fact that this information was misreported by Maria Monsef's mother, but uh, well, here's Mm -hmm. what they wrote. I'm really disappointed with our media for not giving more attention to this story. It's a serious crime to not tell the truth to Immigration Canada. We live in a country that supposedly dispenses justice equally. My wife is an immigrant and two of my children were born outside of Canada. I've jumped through every fucking hoop with Immigration Canada. I have had really poor crappy service from them and they are real assholes to deal with. With my experience of jumping through hoops and complying with all of the laws and regulations and taking seriously the notice on Immigration Canada's website that it is a serious crime to lie, it really gets my ire up that a federal minister and or her mother may have committed a serious crime and there are no repercussions because of Minister Monsef's position. It is outrageous that they are protected by a two-tier justice system. So that's a little food for thought there. I mean, first of all, there's some conclusions jumped to here. We don't know what the outcome of this is going to be yet. Yeah. And it's sort of like unclear as to whether this person is more enraged by the media, which I mean, it's not as if this has gone unnoticed or with some uh, supposed two-tier, you know, special treatment that she might be receiving. I get that aspect. If if Mm -hmm. If you feel like no consideration would be made for you, but that's going to happen for her. Uh, you know, yeah, we, we're, we're supposed to dispense justice equally. That that makes sense, I guess. But I mean, it's a case of like, was this sort of like a deliberate error to conceal this sort of like sketchy background? You know, like, it's, is it just like an oversight filling out a form? Or, well, I, know, they just, like, they, they uh, identify yeah. as Afghani to give benefit of the doubt. Like, I don't even know what that sketchy, like, I don't know. Maybe if you go back, was it easier to get in if you were from Iran, uh, from uh, Iran than Afghanistan? I don't know. I don't know. Like if, but, but you know, whatever it was, it wasn't her doing. And the thing feels ugly and, and unnecessary to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the immigration laws were like, you know, at the time when they applied, but I imagine it, I, I can't imagine, you know, like choosing to say that, you know, like we are from Afghanistan at a point of like brutal civil war versus, you know, like we were born at this, you know, like, I don't, I don't know how that would have factored into it, but I can't see it making a huge amount of difference, right? Where it's like suddenly way more advantageous to claim Afghanistan as place of birth versus the Iranian hospital on the border. You know, the other thing is true that like increasingly there are substantive things that you can find a lot of fault with uh, the Trudeau government going back on promises, be it in the actual, like not the rhetoric around reconciliation, but the ways in which they're actually dealing with indigenous people, uh, some of the pipeline stuff, the, 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 the targets, which are mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff, which is just completely unchanged from what uh, Stephen Harper's government was doing. Like you can actually get into a substantive thing. So I kind of question like picking away at these things. And yet, you know, what can you do when this thing comes out about the moving expenses? I had the same reaction. This is just nonsense. And actually, if what Jerry Butts ultimately said was fuck off, everybody has been doing this. This is ridiculous. But like he did that Facebook post where he suddenly was uncomfortable 
with a certain percentage of it. I asked for an explanation of just like how this accounting works. And what I, what I found was the part that he and, and uh, Katie Telford are, are giving back, I didn't see this widely reported. I'm just going to touch on this. The part that they're giving back is this is this cash payout that was hard to figure out like what exactly that was out of this like 200,000-ish dollars that they incurred in moving to Ottawa. The part that they are giving back is the part where they didn't actually max out as much as they could have spent on moving. And the, the way the system works is they incentivize you to not completely screw the taxpayer for every dime you can. And it's some kind of scheme where, okay, you could have spent, and I'm just pulling these numbers out abstractly. I don't know, I don't know what the actual numbers are. It was within your rights to spend an additional $50,000 on moving and you didn't. So we're going to give you a check for 20,000. If you assume that everybody using the system is just a rapacious, like completely amoral person who doesn't care about spending taxpayer money and that they would like, <laughs> you know, FedEx a box of diapers across the country, then this is a way that yeah. you actually save the government $30,000. So Jerry Butts is saying, well, you know, they gave me this check for, I don't know, $20,000, I think it was-ish, and I'm not comfortable being paid for not maximizing my privilege, so I'm going to give that back. And of course, he's only suddenly uncomfortable with that because he got caught. I mean, and he didn't get caught doing anything against the rules, but he got caught doing something that I think is kind of gross and appalling, but it's the policy that's appalling, you know. But the illusion through a Facebook post, not talking to the media, not going through any official channels, this suddenly he found this sense of discomfort uh, and, you know, he's going to get austere about this and take the high road and, and provide more transparency than anyone else before. That just kind of it hurt my teeth a little bit. It, it is what it is, really, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it seems like it's it's strange that that we're so fixated on these ultimately, I think, relatively minor points. Like, yeah, it's not great that they're um, I'm not going to say scamming, but taking advantage of a generous uh, reimbursement policy. Let's say there you go. It just slides off the tongue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's not a scam. It's not a scam. It's just it's just kind of gross in the banal ways that a lot of things are gross in, in Ottawa, I think. Yeah. It's funny that we spend so much time focused on this versus these actual sort of like substantive things that Trudeau has done or has not done, right? Like, so, you know, they just approved the LNG port. And then, you know, they sort of walk back from like any sort of ambitious climate targets to sort of, well, we'll actually just keep doing exactly what the Harvard government was doing. Like, how about that? Like, isn't that something with this like (laughs) wonderful, young, progressive new government worth like getting more upset about? I think it absolutely is. But I think, I mean, fundamentally, I think the Trudeau government just happens to be like way better at selling a lot of the shit that it does. I mean, even if at the end of the day, we sort of just end up with like Harperism with a human face and what a fucking face. Drew, I want to uh, duly note something that just popped up. A consortium of print media in the province of Quebec are demanding from the government a bailout. They want the government to fund their transition to digital because what they do is so very important covering the news. And uh, they've all gotten together and they have like five different ways they want to get paid. One of which is like they want government advertising in their newspapers. They want huge tax credits for any kind of labor they put into digital transition or even the equipment that they use. And I wanted to duly note that that is just, first of all, more than anything else, it's embarrassing for a free and, and independent press to be groveling with their hats out while simultaneously trying to assume this uh, high road of uh, we are needed by society is like 
they're asking the government to put them in the most compromised position. And it's also a lie, like the idea that with this subsidy, they will then make the transition and become sustainable operations. No one can promise that. And it, of course, as somebody running a digital news operation, it's like them just like asserting that they are the ones who can provide this when the, I know there are digital news startups in Quebec and we operate in Quebec, we're a national service, that they want the subsidies. Their consortium is print media. We're, we must preserve print media. We do not have to preserve print media. It's important to keep news around. It is not important to keep print media around. And uh, I just wanted to bring that to your attention. Duly noted. Do you have something for us, Drew? Yes, actually. I would like to um, highlight the work that the independent.ca um, in Newfoundland has been doing on the issue of Muskrat Falls in Labrador. So I don't know how far this news has gotten to the rest of Canada, but um, Muskrat Falls is basically a massive hydroelectric project. The consensus the province has now arrived at is that this is a humongous mess. We probably never should have gotten into it. Nobody seems to know how to get out of it. We're on the hook for up to, I think, $12 billion to build this hydroelectric project that may or may not produce anything of value. Um, it's probably going to raise our electricity lights prohibitively. We're not going to be able to do anything with electricity, a whole slew of problems. But mainly, I think a problem that has been undercovered um, by a lot of the traditional media in our province is the issue of like how this dam will actually impact the indigenous peoples living in the area of the project and the reservoir. Nalcor and the provincial government do intend to go ahead with building this hydroelectric project even though, you know, like Harvard studies have come out showing that if they do this, if they go ahead and build the reservoir, there is a very significant likelihood, even guarantee almost, that Lake Melville will be increased in um, methylmercury, which is, you know, a significant poison and will significantly harm the indigenous people's food supply in the area. So the independent actually, even though the fact that, you know, this is largely a labor of love for people, um, Justin Brake, I, I know him, he's, he's a good guy. I don't think he makes very much money at this just because it's it's a total shoestring operation. But despite, you know, this sort of like economic hurdles, they've been doing excellent work in covering the issues in Labrador and actually like talking to the people that are affected by this and actually getting the voices of the new nasty government in the area and the other Inuit and Inuit groups that are actually directly affected by this. And yeah, I just wanted to point out that they're doing excellent work and I think they should get recognition for it. Yeah, I think maybe we need to take a closer look at them and, and, and the kind of stuff they're doing. So uh, look for that on Canada Land of the Future. Thank you, Drew. Now is the time on the show when we thank our second sponsor, ShipStation. If you ship things to people who buy them and you do that through the internet, you want to use ShipStation to do that because otherwise it's quite a headache to manage this stuff through all the different selling channels that exist. Etsy and Shopify, your own website, all and there's like dozens of places that you are likely selling your stuff. In the time that it took me to explain that to you, ShipStation will just suck all of your order data onto their platform and then figure out the best way to ship it because it's compatible with UPS, Canada Post, FedEx, everything. And then it'll spit out a shipping label for you. It'll find the most affordable solution and give you everything you need. It'll save you so much time. Try ShipStation. It gets a five out of five from Shopify users. It is the number one choice for online sellers. And I got a special offer for listeners of this podcast right now. You can try it for free for 30 days, plus a special bonus only if you use the offer code CanadaLand. And the way to do that is to go right now to shipstation.ca and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in CanadaLand. That is shipstation.ca, enter CanadaLand. 
Well, Rogers and Shaw, Rogers Communications and Shaw Communications are winding down the Show Me TV and movie streaming service. That's effective November the 30th. This certainly caught me by surprise. Drew, do you, do you use any of these? Uh, Crave, Show Me, what's that other one? Netflix, do you use any of those? Yeah, I was one of the five people in Canada that actually did have Show Me, and I thought it was great. The arrangement in, in our house has sort of been, we'll have Netflix and Show Me and Crave, and then those three things together, which costs still significantly less, I think, than, than cable per month, you have access to, like, you know, like they all sort of like complement each other quite nicely. Show Me, especially the, the TV show selection on Show Me was amazing, especially given that the one on Canadian Netflix is sort of garbage. So yeah. it's pretty unfortunate news, I think. Drew, you know why Netflix's library is such a shadow of American Netflix's? I mean, it's getting better, but why it's kind of relatively crappy? To be totally honest, I'm not 100% sure. I just sort of assume that it has something to do with CRTC regulations. No, um, no, no, not at all. No, CRTC has nothing to do with these over-the-top services. The reason why Netflix Canada is nowhere near as good as Netflix USA is because of Show Me, or rather because of Rogers and Shaw and Bell. All of these companies were signing the Canadian broadcast rights for a bunch of TV shows, and then for years they would just get the digital rights thrown in, and then of course there's a bunch of content that they control the rights to, uh-huh. and they would not play ball with Netflix because they were afraid of Netflix, okay? And that's fine. Netflix is a definite threat to their existence is definitely a threat to cable TV. And these companies, of course, also do that. Mm -hmm. They're not just fighting content with content. They want you to, to keep you on cable. And so when they launch their own Netflix competitor, it's like, okay, at least like they're not just going to hoard the rights. They're going to get in there and fight. And they just didn't fight very well. I think you're right that they had wonderful archives of old TV shows, but Netflix drives subscription with original content. It's the HBO model. Like you sign up for HBO because everyone's talking about The Sopranos. That's the way it worked back in the day. And now you sign up for Netflix because one of the many shows they produce is the show that you really want to see. And that's what gets you on board. They didn't do any original content for, for Crave. And the other thing is, there's another like annoying Canadian thing about the Crave Show Me thing. That was all supposed to be one rival service. Right? Like it was supposed to be Bell, Cineplex, yeah. and Shaw and Rogers putting together a Netflix competitor. And instead, they had a little pissing match and they couldn't get together on it. So now you got to like subscribe to two different services. Like if they had had a, a, a larger library and if they actually tried to make some stuff, I'm reading these headlines now that are like, oh, you can't fight with Netflix. They didn't even try to fight with Netflix. Netflix fights with original content. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like we have all the worst features of a cartel and like none of the benefits. Like they can't even like collaborate <laughs> yeah. long enough to like <laughs> run their competitor out of business, right? Like it's just, it's ludicrous. Hasn't anyone told them how the organized <sighs> crime is supposed to work? You're, you're going to unite against a common foe. Listen, I mean, like the golden age of TV has been all about sort of like anti-heroes and organized crime. I mean, come on. Like the, the people that sort of like <laughs> Selling this shit on our TVs. They, they, they couldn't pick up some lessons from, you know, fucking Tony or Walt. I mean, come on. And is there a cause that is like harder to get behind than we need a Canadian answer to Netflix that has no original Canadian content on? Like all they are are like hustlers of American <laughs> content. And really, they're just standing in the way between viewers and that content. And now what's going to happen to the rights to all that stuff? It's just stranded again. And it's going to push people back into piracy. Mm -hmm. There's so many angles of, of awful to this. 
They claim we had uh, 900,000 subscribers. They did not have 900,000 subscribers. They didn't have 900,000 people paying for Show Me, okay? They had like something under 100,000, I think, paying. And then a lot of people who they would bundle it in to keep you in cable because they weren't really trying to fight with Netflix. They were just trying to keep you in cable by throwing in this, this Show Me thing. And now those people are screwed too because like if you went for one of their cable packages partly because of that, you don't get that anymore. That was part of the deal and now it's off the table. You know, so the 900,000 is indicative of that full number. And of course, it doesn't come close to like Netflix was able to come in in Canada and like overnight, there are like 5 million people in this country. Mm-hmm. The other thing like Drew about this is that it's happening at the same time that we're getting the uh, the impact on the TV industry of the CRTC's change to the like, you know, like Kate Taylor had a piece in the Globe about how, you know, Tatiana Maslany for Orphan Black just won the Emmy and, you know, she never would have gotten that role if the rules were what they are now and the rules now mean that like they're not going to have to hire Canadians anymore to make Canadian like it's all moot because it all relies on CRTC mm-hmm taxing of cable and satellite subscriptions, which like there's still money there, but really like it's an overused analogy, but they are absolutely rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic and, and, and these rapacious companies. Yeah. They want to have less, less obligation to prop up the Canadian production system because they're failing. But of course they're failing because of things like Netflix and they're just, uh, you know where this is going, right? They are throwing in the towel. They're saying, we can't compete. We're not going to try. We're out of the content game. And increasingly you're just going to see the Rogers and Shaw's and and bells. They're just going to get your money at the pipe. When you pay them for your internet access, they're going to charge you for using Netflix, basically. And we're going to continue to pay really high internet rates because they can't fight with the content. So they're going to control the pipe and they're going to, they're going to bilk us for that. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's, that's really frustrating, right? Because like collectively, if they collaborated on producing content and marketing good content nearly as well as they collaborate on, you know, like gouging customers, I think this wouldn't even be an issue. But here we are. I mean, this, this is like the age-old lament of Canadian content, right? Like, everybody wants Canadian content, but they don't want to give us any Canadian content worth watching, apparently. Yeah. So, that's it. We're stuck. Yeah, we're stuck, you know, like, trying to get American Netflix and then being slapped down and not getting American Netflix, stuck watching Canadian Netflix, and then being charged to pay for the privilege. It's, yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal, but you know what? I think that maybe this might be an unstucking, like good riddance. Like I I want them out of the content game, you know, like the whole deal where they get this like monopoly on broadcasting American shows, but then they pay back by making Canadian shows. They're made not with their money, but with like a fraction of the money that we pay them. Like that whole thing is just being, it's just failed from the start. In the long run, it just hasn't been healthy. And I know that a lot of people are afraid for their jobs and they're afraid for the industry of like what's going to happen to Canadian production. Like let's focus on content. Like it's not my opinion. You know what I mean? Like the only way forward in this environment is to fight with content. No, absolutely. And that's the thing, like the model that we have right now is not working. So yeah, I mean, I think good riddance, once this sort of breaks apart a little bit, we'll see some maybe new and interesting and compelling alternatives provided finally. Don't you think that would work? You know, like if there was a, like an actually Canadian Netflix that was like, look, we've put together the best archive of Canadian film and television from the past. But more than that, we are really going to like start up our own original production where we're going for it. You have to build it. It would take some time. You'd have to have a show that was actually good and prove to people that you can make it. But like, you don't think people would pay nine bucks a month for something like that. Like, and that was just continually making stuff and, and telling interesting stories. Like we could totally compete. Like we always throw in the towel before anybody even tries. 
I know, right? I mean, but I mean, even if you just look at the history of like Netflix, right? I mean, that's basically what they did. They started small, they built it. They didn't really offer that much original programming when it first came online. And now, you know, after however many years of plugging away at it, then yeah, like I think their plan is to what? Have half their content be original programming in the next few years? Like that's amazing. The model clearly works. We just have to, somebody has to actually like work it, which so far in, you know, the Canadian telecom industry, we haven't really seen. Drew, thank you very much. No problem. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me anytime at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Drew, where can people find you? They can find me at Drewfinland on Twitter, which is, you know, Newfoundland, but Drewfinland. Brilliant. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Kevin Sexton. We syndicate Canada Land to community and campus radio stations across this country. We do that for free, and that is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us.